Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last Sunday's Gospel reading ended with Jesus welcoming the little children. One of my favorite accounts. Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Remember, the disciples initially had tried to shoo away the children. Jesus doesn't have time for people like that. He's got important people to deal with. But Jesus said, no, no, let the children come to me. Because everybody else here, they can learn a little something from these children who come knowing that they bring nothing and that they receive from me. In Mark's gospel, immediately following the account of Jesus welcoming the little children, along comes an individual that the disciples probably thought was deserving of Jesus' time. A rich young man runs up to Jesus. He doesn't walk up. He doesn't stand before Jesus. He runs up to Jesus and then he kneels down before Jesus. This was an uh, exemplary individual. He was successful. He seemed to be quite religious. He was exactly the kind of person that the disciples would have thought, this is the kind of person that deserves time with Jesus. Now, there are some fascinating keys as we seek to understand our text, to understand the, the rich young man, and more importantly, to understand Jesus and the call to follow him. We'll begin in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? So when somebody runs up to Jesus and kneels down before him, either they are there doing that as a mockery, or they're really serious about Jesus. They think they take Jesus very, very seriously. And from the context, there's no question this guy took Jesus very seriously. He runs up, he kneels before Jesus, and he asks that question. But did you notice something about the question that was just a little bit off? See, the thing about questions is when you start with the wrong question, you're probably not going to get the right conclusion. Well, this man certainly had the wrong question. First of all, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's the thing? What, what happens with an inheritance? You don't gain an inheritance by what you do. An inheritance is given. An inheritance is bestowed upon you. Somebody else says, I'm giving it to you. An inheritance is not something that you gain for yourself, but something that is given to you. So right off the bat, his question is flawed, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The man was so stuck on believing he could be righteous before God by his own works that that's how he phrases the question. He presupposes that it will be based on his own righteousness, his own goodness. But Jesus first chooses to deal with another aspect of the man's question. Jesus says to the man, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
First, Jesus wants the man to reckon with the reality of who he is. Does the man truly believe that Jesus is good? And does the man truly believe that Jesus is God? The man isn't wrong. Jesus is good. And Jesus is God. But Jesus here begins to, to poke a little hole in the man's self of, sense of self-righteousness. See, when the, when the man comes up to Jesus, even though he bow, or kneels down before him, the man's sense is more, hey, we sure are good, aren't we, Jesus? We're really good people. I mean, you and me, anyway. We're really good. That seems to be kind of the sense that he has. But the man had an idol that Jesus was about to expose. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud on your father and your mother. See, Jesus starts to go through the Ten Commandments. But he doesn't have to even go through all of them. He just starts uh, spitting out a few of them here. But notice, you remember with the Ten Commandments, you got the first table of the law and the second table of the law. The first table of the law deals with love for God, right? Uh, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. Those are all first table, right? The second table of the law deals with love for others, love for neighbor, right? And that, those are the kinds of questions Jesus brings up here. Those are the commandments he brings before him. The second table of the law, love for others, and the man, the man responds to this by saying, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. The verb translated here is kept. It's the same word that we have in Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. This man says, I not only have kept it, I have, I have been so serious about protecting it and, and not breaking the law that I have done so well that there's no way I broke those laws. And yet, what's interesting is this guy who seems to think he's so good is there asking Jesus what I have to do to inherit eternal life. See, because Behind that seeming arrogance and pride of thinking he's got it all down, there's also a desperation. Because he really knows he doesn't. This is where salvation by, by works leads. Pride and desperation. And this man was so proud of his works, but so simultaneously desperate that he runs to Jesus with this question. Because deep inside he knew his righteousness was lacking. His conscience was pricking him. So now Jesus exposes the sin in the man's heart. The idol that he was really clinging to. Jesus, looking at him, Loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Possessions and money weren't really this guy's problem. 
His love of possessions and money. That was the problem. Rather than possessing his possessions, his possessions possessed him. He was owned by the very things that he supposedly owned. And so Jesus reveals to the man that he had not, in fact, kept the Ten Commandments. He hadn't even kept the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. But this man loved and trusted in his wealth more than in the Lord. Now understand something here. Jesus loved this man. He exposed his sin because he loved him. Sometimes people get angry with me as a pastor or with the church or sometimes with you when you, by the word of God, show somebody that there is sin that they need to repent of. How dare you? Who are you to judge? That's not very loving. Oh, really? It is loving. (laughs) To expose sin is loving because only when our sin is exposed do we understand We are not righteous. We need a righteousness that is outside of us. We need Jesus. We need the holiness that he gives. But if we think we're good people, well, then we don't really need a savior, do we? Jesus exposed the man's sin because he wanted the man to give up his idols and to receive that gift, to receive with open hands, empty hands, the inheritance of eternal life. Instead, the man went away sad. He remained possessed by his possessions. Now, at that point, the man was walking away. Did Jesus chase after him? Did he say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me me try, let me give you a different way that maybe will appeal to you better. Well, no. He doesn't soften the message. He doesn't make the message more appealing. He had spoken truth. The man went away sad, but he went away convicted in his sin. So maybe, just maybe, at a later time, he did turn in repentance and trust in Jesus. We don't know, but that is what we hope. But sometimes this is how it happens. We speak truth and it is not received. We dare not compromise the word of God in order to accommodate the wishes and desires of the world. Now, as we examine this reading, I think it's really easy for us to say, okay, that was his problem, right? But we got to turn it around on ourselves here now, don't we? Are there idols in my life? Am I possessed by my possessions? Are there things I love that I really want to hold on to that are contrary to God's word and his will. If Jesus were to have a similar conversation with me, what would be the idol that he might bring to light? It's never pleasant to examine ourselves against God's holy law and to have our sin revealed, but it is good and it is necessary. Because then we can repent. We can go to the one who truly is good and we can say, Lord, here's all I've got to offer you. All I've got is my sin. And he takes it and he gives us his holiness, his righteousness. We don't know if perhaps the law worked on that rich young man and he repented and trusted in Jesus for his salvation at a later time. 
But let me close today with the story of somebody who did. Someone whose idols were exposed and who had to truly consider if Jesus was good, if Jesus was God. In 1997, Rosaria Butterfield was living in a same-sex relationship, an LGBT advocate, a feminist philosopher at Syracuse University. Her primary academic field was critical theory, specializing in queer theory. Her historical focus was 19th century literature informed by Freud, Marx, and Darwin. She advised the LGBT student group, wrote Syracuse University's policy for same-sex couples, and actively lobbied for LGBT aims alongside her lesbian partner. But that year, while Rosaria was researching the religious rights and what she perceived as their their politics of hatred against people like me, she wrote an article against the Promise Keepers. A response to that article triggered a meeting with a pastor named Ken Smith, who became a resource on the religious rights and the Bible, and later became a confidant and a friend. Ken and his wife would regularly have Rosaria and her partner over for meals and conversations, and Rosaria had been reading the Bible for the purposes of, well, trying to show just how bad these Christians really are. But at some point, as she was reading the Bible, she was confronted with the same questions as this rich young man. Is Jesus good? Is Jesus God? And if he is, then his words are true. And if his words are true, then I've been sinning against God. I've been living in rebellion against God. And I need forgiveness from God. In 1999, after repeatedly reading through the Bible in large chunks for her research, Rosaria came to faith in Christ. She repented. She left her partner, lost her prestigious place in academia, and, well, lost just about everything. But she gained an eternal inheritance. She came to Jesus like those little children, humbly, In faith, empty hands. And Jesus received her, welcomed her, blessed her, and made her his own. She now lives in Durham, North Carolina with her husband, who is a pastor, and their children. She heard the call of Jesus. Follow me. And she did. That same Jesus calls to us, give up your idols. Follow me and receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Come, follow me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.